0: You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona homeowners. Let's get ready to get our hands in the soil. Here in the Outdoor Living Hour, we have Jay Harper. Wait. Not uh, Jay. Rick Cobert. Rick Cobert. He's <laughs> a tree wizard. Mr. Harper took a little leave of absence, doing a little uh, family traveling and enjoying some uh, new grandbabies. So we've got Mr. Tree Wizard and Mr. Rick Cobra. Welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for being here. We today are talking about uh, fertilizing citrus as it's Memorial Day weekend and one of our many traditions. So we thought, well, the Tree Wizard should know probably one or two things about citrus fertilizing that we can help share with Arizona homeowners. But before we get there, if you aren't in a market... That carries our 7 o'clock hour. You've got to get to com at 11 o'clock when this program's over. And listen to the interview they had with the sales and marketing director for the company that's reopening Castle Hot Springs. Now, Castle Hot Springs is a very famous Arizona resort. And why that all comes into this outdoor living hour, as Rick was sitting here listening, you're like, Hey, I know those palm trees back there at the resort, and you've got some... (coughs) Nowhere else would you hear this on a Saturday morning about the history of palm trees at Castle Hot Springs and why it's so significant.
1: Well, it's very interesting. Um, My professor, when I went to Arizona State University, was Dr. Vic Miller. And Dr. Miller wrote an article about Washingtonia palms. There are two varieties of fan palms, the skinny ones, which are called Mexican fan palms, Washingtonia robusta and the fat-trunk ones, which are called California fan palms, which are Washingtonia filifera.
0: Anyway, you got it, yeah, right <laughs> Right away. So anyways, Dr.
1: Dr. Miller uh, found a citation. The original uh, earlier earliest sighting of palm trees back in the 1800s, late 1870s, uh, was a botanist, a famous botanist from uh, Germany named Hermann Wendland. And Hermann uh, talked about seeing palm trees, within 38 miles of Prescott, Arizona. And many other botanists said, well, that's impossible. The California fan palm would not have been seen within 38 miles of Prescott, Arizona. But if you look at the grove that's in Castle Hot Springs, that's probably the palms that he saw in the 1870s. And it's one of the earliest citations of the California fan palms in the Southwest. Wow. And I had always heard the only native palms in Arizona were down in Yuma. Correct. And and it's the same botanist. You know, realize that in the, in the 1800s, botanists traveled all over the world, and they would cite plants, and they would discover plants, and they would mark plants. So we didn't have television. We didn't have media. We didn't have the Internet. And so these people would travel, wagons, sailing ships, and they would go look at plants. And so, yes, there is an allusion to... The Kofa Mountain Range right. near, near Yuma, early botanist sightings, but Herman Wenland's sighting was claiming to have seen the palms within 38 miles of uh, Wickenburg, which is fascinating.
0: Now, is that to say they could, they could be indigenous?
1: Correct. And and the interesting thing about those types of plants and and botany is the seeds could have been transported by Native Americans and or birds. So the palms may have been planted by birds. They may have been planted by Native Americans. When the Castle Hot Springs were developed, we knew that there were palm trees there. Some people thought they were planted, but many people said they were native before the, the uh, resort
0: was developed. And when you're talking about a bird carrying seeds, was that an a- African swallow or Asian swallow?
1: <laughs> uh, we, could, we, could go with another, we could go with another story there. There's actually another theory about creosote bushes maybe coming from South America to North America. Uh, transported by a interpolar migrating plover bird. So botanists uh, have lots of fun with plants, yes.
0: Well, what a fascinating story. We appreciate you sharing that. That was uh, just something that organic happened while we were sitting here listening. And last time we had you on air Rosie had just gotten back from a trip in Europe where he read an article from another German botanist about how trees communicate through roots and scents and smells. And we were talking about that, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've read that book. It's blah, 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 and had a lot of great insight there. You're very well studied on the subject of trees and roots and, like, uh, all things, what do you call it, botan? Botany horticulture, botan- Botany horticulture, yeah. and a certified arborist. A certified arborist, yes. And if you'd like to join the conversation or talk to the tree wizard, it's one triple eight. 767-4348. That's 188 Rosie for you. You can text questions to four one one nine two three. 923 Or if you need help uh, sending a picture for a little plant or insect identification, you can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Let's talk citrus. It is Memorial Day weekend, one of the three uh, Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day are the three rule of thumb generally accepted a lot of uh i know john eisenhower a lot of arborists would rather see four times or a little bit more frequency and a little less but for your average consumer homeowner uh citrus tree in the yard those three times a year work pretty good and we're in one of them so let's start how do we uh How do we start fertilizing? You just grab a bag and dump it on, right?
1: Well, the the best answer in horticulture is yes, no, maybe, and it depends. (laughs) And so the correct answer to that is yes, no, maybe, and it depends. If you were a farmer, and I I built a uh, a 50-acre organic culinary herb farm in Montecito, California, and I ran simultaneously a 28-acre hydroponic culinary herb farm in Ventura County. If you were a farmer, you would do a soil test, you would do a water test, and you would do a leaf tissue test analysis And you would compare the nutrients that are in the soil to the nutrients that are in the water and look at the tissue analysis and see how the nutrients are taken up by the plant. The average home gardener cannot afford to do a soil water tissue test. So basically we come up with a rule of thumb like Valentine's Day, Uh, Labor Day Memorial Day or Memorial Day Labor Day. Some people would say not necessarily Valentine's Day. Some people say uh, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. So there are different schools of thought. Some people say fertilize every month from the growing season from the end of February through the first part of September. Some people say four times a year. The best advice would be to follow the label directions on a bag of prepared commercial fertilizer that's designed for citrus and most horticulturist arborists would say to reduce the application by, by half. So instead of, you know, the the fertilizer company wants you to purchase the bag of fertilizer and use it up as soon as possible, but it may be wiser to be judicious and use half a rate and maybe apply it every month. Um, but yeah, those three, three dates, uh, uh, Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day are great days.
0: And I don't know. Did I mention we're broadcasting live at Sanderson Ford? I don't think I mentioned that. That's what the loud PA in the background is for. Customer service for their forty, uh, excuse me, sixty-third anniversary sale, the biggest sale they'll have all year. They've been ordering vehicles uh, since January, just for uh, the month of May and their anniversary month. So we're broadcasting live. You can come on down, get a cup of uh, hot coffee, a donut. Uh, meet Rosie. You can ask your question live on person. I mentioned how you can call or communicate electronically, but I never mentioned you can stop by in person if you're in the Glendale area. We're on Maryland 51st Avenue. That's a the halfway point south of Glendale. We're on the north. We're in the showroom on the north side, and we'll be talking to uh, Sanders for probably in the eight o'clock hour with a little bit of, about the details going on. They're always something revolved around nonprofit and charity work. They've got a big water drive. There's lots of water out front. So there's ways that you can participate there. Uh, So that's what the Loud PA is. You'll hear from time to time as we're talking about fertilizing citrus. And you'd mentioned going half and and commercial grade. Let's let's start with the fertilizer. You've got granular and you have liquids. Most of your homeowners are set up for probably granular application.
1: Correct. Granular application is the simplest, easiest way to do it. The key to fertilization is always to be sure that the soil is relatively moist before you apply the fertilizer, and then water the fertilizer in. And you want to sprinkle that fertilizer, if you're using a granular fertilizer, out to the drip line of the tree. So start a a short distance away from the trunk or the stem where it grows into the ground, and then uniformly distribute the granulars of the fertilizer out to the drip line. So if you're using a young citrus tree, you're fertilizing a young tree, you may only have a tree that the, the branches spread two feet, three feet. Um, um, and you may be using a mature citrus tree where the branches may spread 15 to 20 feet. So the key is to sprinkle that fertilizer out to what we would call the drip line, the edge of where the branches go out. And then be sure that you water heavily after the application of the fertilizer. And
0: you had mentioned that you want your soil moist beforehand, too. So in the desert, looking outside... We're not going to get any natural irrigation, it looks like, for this weekend. So how how much water are we having to put down ahead of time? There's a really good guideline that's put out by the Arizona Municipal
1: Water Users Association, and the acronym is AMWUA, and that stands for the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association. That guideline is called the Landscape Watering by the Numbers. Those uh, are available on the internet it's an interactive uh, water use it wisely dot com water dot com and that will give you the appropriate levels of water to uh, apply and it depends upon the type of soil that you have uh, sandy soil the water will infiltrate much more uh, rapidly than a clay soil will so um, the the best is to realize that in Arizona our battle is against the salt in the water um, I like to tell people that if you were a farmer and you had your water analysis done, all water in Maricopa County has a leaching requirement somewhere between 15 and 30 percent, which means that when you do irrigate, 15 to 30 percent of the water should pass beyond the root zone when you apply water. So it's always better to use a larger volume of water less frequently than it is to use a short. Uh, cycle of drip irrigation we used to all use bubblers and flood irrigation and in the last 20-25 years we've developed drip systems and we've had more of a salt problem because people have their drip systems come on for short intervals closer together and it's always better to let's say put on 100 gallons of water every 10th day than it is to put on 10 gallons of water every day so that saturation gets below the root zone and washes the
0: salt past the root zone and one trick that it's one of those things you hear it and you're like oh that wasn't so hard i was trying to figure out my drip zone and they were saying well you're not watering I'm like it only goes six hours guys i can't i can't water any longer than that and so we've got multiple times to start right I'm like yeah well start it again six hours later just set it up that at the end of that six hours it just goes for another six hours and there's four zones so you could do a full 24 hours and that would give you that 100 gallons, I thought, never thought of it that way.
1: <laughs> you know, I uh, I consult, talking about Mexican fan palms again, I consulted to a man in Awatuki, and he had uh, called me and said, I have bad salt burn on the leaves, the fronds of my palm tree. Will you come look at them? And so I go to look at the palms, and I was stunned at how much salt burn damage there was on the, the leaves of the palm. So I asked him, I said, how often do you water? He goes, well, it's set the same way it was when I moved in three years ago. He goes... I have one-gallon-an-hour emitters, and it comes on every day for 15 minutes, seven days a week. <laughs> and these are large Mexican fan palms. Well, every day for 15 minutes, one-gallon-an-hour emitter, he's just putting on a sprinkling a cup. of water. Cup, and the water evaporates and leaves the salt behind. So he said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to broaden your interval and increase the volume. So you need to put on much, much more water less frequently.
0: one on a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. Thank you for joining us here at Rosie on the House. Celebrating 30 years, all possible by you, the listeners. Y'all have consistently come through for us and keeping us on the air for 30 years. We appreciate that and our our time together Saturday mornings. Now, I have a funny story, Rick, but I'm going to save it for later. As we're talking about uh, citrus fertilizing, why even fertilize? I mean, there was a lot of years before we invented fertilizers and commercial granulars that these citrus trees were alive and thrive. I mean, they've been around a long time before <laughs> we started messing with them. What's the purpose of fertilizing? Well, all plants require 16 essential elements, some
1: 17, and you can always remember those Fertilizer Elements by the short acronym C. Hopkins Cafe Cleverly Managed by my cousin Mo. And that's basically just letters from the periodic Designated table. Designated to memory, baby. Carbon, hydrogen, <laughs> oxygen, phosphorus, nitrogen, sulfur, calcium, iron, manganese, magnesium. Anyway, there's This six... is
0: why we record for podcasting correct, later. <laughs> correct,
1: but But you can look up the 16 essential elements and you can learn about the uh, elements that are required for plant metabolism. So plant food is not fertilizer. Plant food is photosynthesis. So the sun hits the leaf, the leaf has chlorophyll in it, uses water, uses carbon dioxide, and makes carbohydrates. The 16 essential elements are required as nutrients for the plant, just like we have nutrients in our metabolism that are required for us. So scientists have learned over the last hundred years or so that these 16 essential elements are required by plants and the three big ones are n p and k so that's nitrogen phosphorus and potassium so if you get a bag of fertilizer it'll have three numbers on the front of it it'll say like 10 10 10 or five 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 and those are the important macronutrients and uh, we've learned that nitrogen the n part of npk really stimulates rapid growth and development of plants and uh, so farmers started to use Uh, manures originally as fertilizers. And then after World War II, there were chemical fertilizers that were made out of uh, ammonia and nitrate products. And those benefited the rapid growth of plants and agriculture worldwide.
0: And when we're applying that to citrus, does it make your citrus juicier? Does it make it bigger? Does it make it uh, more colorful? Well, the answer is yes, no, maybe, and it depends. (laughs) And it actually, that's the interesting thing about
1: fertilizers. If you were a farmer, you know, people think they need fertilization, but if you do not know the actual tissue analysis of the leaves and the actual 16 essential elements that are present in the soil and in the water, you may or may not need some of those nutrients as fertilization. So generally speaking, fertilization enhances the growth and the vitality of plants, If you fertilize your roses, you get better blooms. If you fertilize your fruit trees, you get better fruit. That's a
0: general assumption, but it may not necessarily be true. Very interesting. And on the topic of fruit, one of our texters here just moved into a home that has figs in it, and they wanted to know, what do I need to know about owning a fig tree? (laughs) The first thing I would say is get the uh, Country Living Handbook and uh, read up, and order your supplies on jarring. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, figs are figs are a uh, uh, one of the oldest fruit crops that have
1: been grown by human beings going back for thousands of years. It's a the fig leaf biblical
0: plant, correct? And and uh, they're delicious. Um, we they... don't suggest that use in modern times for fig trees. <laughs> it would work, though. It, it would work.
1: But yeah, figs are very well adapted to our climate. Uh, any. Mediterranean climate or climate like the Middle East is very similar to the native habitat of the edible figs Um, and there are many many varieties of figs and they bear generally two crops a year and it's a wonderful fruit tree and there again they would benefit from healthy soil and general fertilization as well.
0: Now if I've got some leftover citrus fertilizer I mean is it that big a deal to put it on the figs or because of the difference in the numbers and this is a different type of uh, classification than citrus, you know, you can go in there and you've got nut f- tree fertilizer, you've got stone fruit fertilizer, you've got citrus fertilizer. Is it a big difference or can you cross-pollinate those? Um, you can yes, use... Yes, no, maybe, yes, and, it and
1: Actually, the, the best answer is yes, <laughs> no, maybe, and it depends. Basically, if you are a farmer, uh, there is an optimal nutrient ratio of all of those 16 essential elements for every crop and the general parameters are the same so you need so many perts per million of many of the nutrients and so much of a percentage of many of the nutrients um, so generally speaking yes any commercially prepared fertilizer whether it's an all-purpose fertilizer a tree and nut fertilizer a citrus fertilizer They all basically have the same blend of nutrients, primarily focusing on nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So you
0: can get away with it. You can get away with it. All right. There you go. We appreciate the text in. That's 411 923. And as we go to the bottom of our news break, the phones are hot at 888 767 4348. That's 888 Rosie for you. Broadcasting live at Sanderson Ford today. It's our 30th anniversary all year long. Well, it's Sanderson Ford's 63rd anniversary all year long. And we're here right now talking in our outdoor living hour. We're talking citrus fertilizing as it is one of our weekends that the state knows as Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. Well, all of this work good can go down the drain pretty quick by things that like to chew. Anytime you start growing and har- harvesting something, uh, insects, animals, birds, uh, four-legged animals, they all think it's for them. They don't realize your hard work is for you. So if you've got something chewing your leaves on the citrus and you want to treat it organically, grab Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. You can hook it right up to your hose, spray down your tree, do it either at the end of the day or really early in the morning. You don't want that water sitting on the leaves and the heat of the day, but give it a one-shot, and it'll kill instantly, and it's so organic that you can still harvest your produce that day. So obviously we're not going to be eating citrus today, but you can apply it anywhere in your garden. If you've got something coming out of your vegetable garden and you want to keep it bug-free, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew by Bonide proudly made in america and you can find it all over the state if you're up in the lakeside at christopher's if you're in the mountain areas of yavapai county you can find it at waters garden center at the mountain gardener shop and down in the phoenix area you can find it at all three summer winds location captain jack's dead bug brew and we're joined by a uh, special guest this saturday i have a, a compliment for you are you are you familiar with the urban farm i am familiar with the urban farm yeah Okay, so Farmer Greg's listening this morning. He sent me a text and said, hey, I got in late to the broadcast. Introduce your guest again because uh, I missed it. This guy's brilliant. <laughs> so quite a compliment there. <laughs> I have I have had uh, breakfast with Greg Peterson uh, before, so Greg knows me, and I know Greg, so that's good. And, Greg, you're listening to Rick Cober of Triage. He was certified arborist, and now it clicks. He's like, oh, Rick. Okay. But for the rest of the listening audience, it's triage. You operate in the North Valley, Deer Valley, Anthem, New River area?
1: Actually, valley-wide. We, okay. uh, we have a tree business, and we also do what's called uh, landscape auditing. So we audit uh, the landscaping for homeowners associations and management companies
0: and commercial landscapes. So that uh, that's not something you would do individually for a homeowner, but a, an association? Oh, no. We've, we, we can do it for a large estate. I mean, it
1: depends upon the maintenance provider that they have and how many plants they, are, they have and the type of irrigation system. So, um, yeah, we can audit a, a single home or a large estate or a homeowner's association of, of any size.
0: Now, we had a great text question come in when we were talking about fertilizing citrus. They wanted to know about mulching. They put a bunch of mulch around their citrus tree, so we should probably talk about the correct way to mulch. But then do you have to move, remove the mulch, add your granular fertilizer, and push the mulch back? Yes, no, maybe, and it depends. Uh, Actually, what we've learned in
1: in agriculture and horticulture in the last 15 years is we used to argue about organic techniques versus conventional techniques, and the 16 essential elements all need to be broken down into an inorganic molecular form. For plants to take them up and use them so the agronomist used to say it didn't matter whether you did organic fertilizing or chemical fertilizing but what we've learned in the last 10 or 15 years is that it's about the critters you were talking about critters earlier that may feed on the plants but the real key to soil health is the beneficial soil microorganisms that live in the soil so when we mulch our soils we're actually making the critters happier and the my motto, if you look on my business card, it says, happy roots makes happy shoots. And so the key is when the root systems are happy because they have a nice, healthy rhizosphere and there are lots of associated microorganisms that live in the soil by mulching the soil. The soil's healthier, then the roots are healthier, and then the shoots are healthier. So the way you make plants happy and healthy is by having happy, healthy soil, and the way you make happy, happy, healthy soil is by adding organic
0: mulches to the surface of the soil. So if I've got a nice big bed of mulch that I've just put down, and now I've got to fertilize, can I put it right on top of the mulch? Yes, you can. And it will water in most fertilizers. um, Many of the
1: 16 essential elements are soluble and mobile in the soil. Some are less mobile. So for example, the one primary nutrient, the P of NPK, phosphorus is considered less mobile in the soil than nitrogen. But we've learned that soil microorganisms actually make phosphorus more mobile in the soil. So there again, by having a, happy healthy rhizosphere and lots of soil microorganisms in the soil the fertilizers that you do apply will work better and be distributed better by the soil microorganisms
0: we appreciate the text question and the certified arborist uh, botanist horticulturalist expert answer let's get to our first caller which is uh john he wants to talk about watering citrus we were talking about earlier and he has a follow-up question for us john welcome to the broadcast
1: Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, pretty new to the area here uh, from New England, so this is all new to me here. Um, got an orange tree that we planted earlier this year, and I'm not sure if we're giving it enough or too much water. She's looking kind of blah, a little yellowing on the leaves here. i not sure if that's normal or not. Okay. Um, yellowing on the leaves on a recently planted citrus tree could be... Multiple things. It could be a little bit too much sun exposure. It could be a lack of nitrogen fertilizer. Generally, newly planted citrus trees sometimes have a little problem with sun exposure, and uh, many okay. people will many people will shade their newly planted citrus trees for the first summer or two, put some type of uh, shade structure over it or a, a picnic umbrella or something like that uh, in order to uh, have the sun be less severe. Um, watering, generally you want to water out to at least two or three feet away from the trunk of the tree. I assume you probably purchased a 15-gallon or a 24-inch box citrus tree. And you should, give it a, you should give it a good soak at least every five to seven days. Uh, there again, get the landscape watering guidelines uh, put out by the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association. And uh, follow those guidelines.
0: And that's wateruserwisely.com. For someone new to Arizona from the New England area, how'd you find Rosie on the house, John? He's speechless. (laughs) You made him speechless. Thank you, John. (laughs) Now, we had uh, you were talking earlier about drip irrigation versus bubbler and how there's been a conversion to that. If you're doing a new install... Do you have a preference on drip or bubbler? Yes, no, it depends, and maybe. <laughs> yes, no, maybe, and it depends. Actually,
1: um, I, I worked in California in the agricultural realm there for a few years, and everything in, in Southern California has been gradually converted to uh, agriculturally what they call drip tape, and drip tape is a is another type of drip mechanism. The downside on drip is always being conscious of that leaching requirement and realizing that we do have salt in our water um, and that you need to apply a large enough volume of water with your irrigation system to wash that salt past the root zone. And the temptation is when we have newly planted landscapes on drip system is not to add additional emitters or a larger volume of irrigation. And that's where that water guideline really helps. So if you plant a new tree, when you plant the tree, you may have two drip emitters. The next year, you may want to add a couple more emitters, have four. And the next year, you may want to have six or eight and move those drip emitters out beyond uh, the, the root zone into the drip line of the tree. So the key is to put on a larger volume of water, let your drip systems run longer. So it really doesn't matter whether you're watering with a hose, whether you're watering with bubblers, whether you're watering with a drip system. You want to be in tune with your plants. Keep an eye on your plants as the temperatures increase. Add more water, a larger volume of water, and try to broaden the interval
0: and increase the volume to where your plants are happy and they're, they're not wilting. And a lot of this comes back to design and understanding what your system is. If you have, uh, let's say, three trees on it, and you're starting small, and you've got five-gallon-an-hour uh, two per each, so you add that up, that's 30 gallons an hour. Well, two or three years as you're adding that, well, a drip irrigation system generally has, I think it's like a 85-gallon-an-hour. An <laughs> well, in, in, in irrigation, you can go to any sprinkler supply store,
1: and there are hydrological data that's relative. The, 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 the flow rate is controlled by the size of the pipe. Mm. so what uh, a two inch pipe is dramatically more inch than a one inch pipe than a half inch pipe and and the drip line it's critical that you put in a large enough pipe to accommodate the number of emitters so it's it's wise to design your system accordingly get good advice either through an irrigation store or through the uh water
0: use it wi- wisely guideline and on those drip irrigations, it's obviously not a glued together so it it has a lower psi than your regular plastic pvc so you do hit a limit on your your build out so if you've moved into a home like this gentleman uh, from new england to arizona in addition to working with the water use it wisely, you've got to take that extra step to go back and understand what system you have that's putting water on and its capabilities.
1: You know, one of the things we do when we do landscape audits for a large HOA or commercial property is we analyze the type of nozzles that are used. And oftentimes we find that uh, over 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 year period, the nozzles may be not compatible with each other. So there may have been multiple repairs that have, that have gone on over the past, and the nozzles may not be appropriate. So it's important that you have your system run appropriately. And there, again, you can get good information at any landscape irrigation store.
0: And you can go into Ewing at Deer Valley uh, off of 23rd Avenue and get an answer. You can go into Ewing at Scottsdale Air Park. Uh, off of North site and get a slightly different answer. You can go into Ewing and Surprise uh, off of Grand and Bell, and get probably a slightly different answer on a lot of the styles and how to set up. There are so many options in irrigation. You go down these rows, uh, and you've got Rainbird, and you've got Hunter, and you've got Toro, and they all work a little different. You could get a slightly different answer even from the same <laughs> same company at different locations because you're talking to someone different there. Uh, so it, in my experience, I've gone into places like, man, that's all wrong. And you go to someone else and like, if I was doing it, that's exactly how i do it. So as you're getting... Don't get discouraged if, if someone tells you something bad right off the front that, you know what, that's all wrong. you got to rip it out and start all over. Don't, don't jump on that too quick.
1: <laughs> learn learn and, and practice and grow. And as you garden, um, the, the, the more experience you have, the better comfort your, your comfort zone will be. Uh, and you'll feel confident that you're doing the right thing. And there's certainly nothing wrong with getting out there, getting the hose hooked up to the hose bin, <laughs> and giving the plants extra water with the hose. That's the way I do it, actually. I like to go out in the yard and hook the hose up and water with the hose.
0: It's amazing to me in the, I don't know, 8, nine, ten years I've been uh, really learning from the Arizona Nursery Association, the Arizona Community Tree Council, the Arizona Farm Bureau, how many arborists, master gardeners, horticulturalists, you know, people that their entire life revolves around this, when you ask them, Say exactly that. Well, I just get a wand on the end of the hose and go out there and do it because I know what's going on. I know how long. I know it's getting done right. I'm not taking uh, a a timer for granted. I'm not taking the nozzle for granted. I'm not taking anything. I just go out there and water it by hand. (laughs)
1: When I graduated with my degree in horticulture uh, almost 40 years ago, I, I learned very quickly. I ran a large commercial wholesale nursery, and I learned very quickly that plants don't lie. People can lie. (laughs) <laughs> and they can tell you all sorts of stories about the plants. But if you are in tune with your plants and you spend a lot of time with your plants, they will let you know if they're happy and vibrant and have a, a sense of vitality and their leaves are standing up and they're just full of water. And they'll also let you know if they're yellow and wilty and have salt burn edges.
0: So plants can't lie. They're either happy or they're not. Rosie on the house, one 767 4348 Outdoor Living Hour with Rick Kober of Triage, joining us live as we broadcast at Sanderson Ford for their 63rd anniversary sale. If you had buying a car on your to-do this weekend, better get it done today. Sanderson Ford's close on Sundays always, and Memorial Day is a big weekend for vehicle sales across the entire state, but you know what? They're closed on Monday, too, to honor our fallen soldiers. So if you want to support a local company and you had a car buying uh, on your to-do, today's your day to do it at Sanderson Ford, and we are here live for the broadcast. Mr. Colbert, this is probably the most technical question, and I hate to ask it on air, but I think with everything I've heard, you, I'm not going to stump you on this one. You're, you're going to be able to handle and roll with it. Okay, okay. A texture. Heard our last segment, and we were talking about the best watering system. And you said by hand. Well, they want to know what to adapt to the end of the hose. Okay, frequently control your water. Frequently, well. I use my finger, and occasionally I use my thumb. it gets sore after a yeah, while. Yeah, so you, you have
1: to switch and rotate. Left from, hand or right hand? Yeah, I usually use the right hand. Okay, and then I switch from finger to thumb. Um, But I do actually have some uh, breaker nozzles that occasionally I'll put on the hose. But then my finger and my thumb miss the actual touching sensation of the water. And so then I'll take the breaker nozzle off and I'll I'll go back to using the finger and the thumb.
0: Now, do you ever kink the hose to restrict the flow? And and, and so then you're working out your gripping motion on your hand? Correct. Correct. Yes. And occasionally I'll turn the little dial where the hose bib is
1: and I'll adjust it either up or, or down. Beautiful.
0: That's the way I like it. I think it's therapeutic, actually. I, I like to water for a long time. Um, hey, uh, I just was curious. When you look in your yard, and we're coming up on this really hot summer, what? how do you detect when something's going wrong? What is the first thing you would look at? Do you have like a – how do you keep – How you talk about being in tune with your yard. How do you do that?
1: Well, the easiest – and it's interesting as a consulting arborist horticulturist, the first thing that I look on – A plant when I'm diagnosing a problem is the tip growth an actual uh, in botany it's called the apical meristem so the the cells that divide and that grow the shoots longer is the tip of the leaves or the tip of the branch or the tip of the grass and that is the first part to wilt and so visually particularly with fast-growing plants you can discern right away When the plant is under drought stress or heat stress, when the tips begin to wilt. So that's the first thing that I look at. Regardless of the species of plants, it's more visually uh, easy to see on fast-growing plants than it is on slow-growing plants. So, for example, a barrel cactus, even though it does have an apical meristem and it has a tip where it grows from, it's just a big, round looking blob of green with spines on it, so you generally cannot see the wilt on a cactus like you can
0: on a leafy plant. Sounds to me like you need to get out there and look. Get out there and look. (laughs) Our texture has a sense of humor. They said 10 hours with your thumb on the hose? Ouch! (laughs) (laughs) It goes back to uh, water flow, because what you're getting out of the end of the hose is a whole lot different volume-wise Than what you're kind of getting on 10 hours on your drip, you know, you can get that same amount from a hose and, you know, less than an hour, 20, 30 minutes versus what's slowly going out at one gallon per hour, five gallons per hour. So the best way to do that is get a five gallon bucket, turn your hose on full blast and get a timer. How fast does five gallons fill up in this bucket? All right. It took, let's say 30 seconds. And this tree needs 60 gallons. So do the math backwards, 10 gallons a minute, we've got to do this for six minutes. So it's, it, it, it's math, but it's simple. Yeah, and, and, and hydrologically, one of the
1: interesting things that people make a mistake on is the difference between pressure and flow rate. So oftentimes at a nursery or in an area where there's a turf system with multiple heads of turf, people will say, well, I have no pressure. And if there's too many hoses running in a nursery at one time, the water will begin to come out at a slower rate. And people will come up to the nursery manager and say, my hose doesn't have any pressure. And what they really mean is their hose doesn't have any flow rate. So the flow rate, again, is controlled by the size of the pipe. And when you have too many sprinklers running at once or too many hoses running at once, it'll affect your flow rate. The pressure is controlled by the pumping station or the pressure that's given by the city. So pressure is generally constant through a system. There is a slight reduction in pressure due to friction loss and how long the pipes may run. But the flow rate is the first thing that drops off.
0: Well, Rick, we appreciate your time here in Outdoor Living Hour and coming down from Anthem to Glendale to join us for the live broadcast. I know that uh, you've got your own audit you had to do this weekend we appreciate you interrupting if somebody wanted to get a hold of you directly what would be the best way for them to contact you? they can contact us at triageusa.com so they can just look up our website and tree t-r-e-e-a-g-e triageusa.com that's us mr Culver. thanks for your time glad to be here thank you